What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Bands like Mumford & Sons and the Lumineers have brought the folk rock revival to the charts. But for folk rock the way it ought to be done, see Richard Thompson. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. Guitar innovator and rock survivor Richard Thompson talks five decades of music. Plus, Jack White showcases his own guitar skills on a new solo effort. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and we're going to review Jack White's second solo album, Lazaretto, later in the show. Greg, this is a guy who's been known to make a record in a couple of hours, but this one has been percolating for 19 years. Yeah, we're going to find out why later on, Jim, but first we've got some music news. I've got a golden ticket. I've got a golden twinkle in my eye I never had a chance to shine Never a happy song to sing But suddenly half the world is mine What an amazing thing Greg, it's an inescapable fact that if you buy a concert ticket in America or several over the course of the year, you're probably dealing with Ticketmaster and you're probably <laughs> grumbling about that giant corporation, wondering how the $35 ticket you bought managed to become $52.50 with added convenience, service fees, order processing fees, UPS delivery fees, even if you're printing out the ticket at home on your home computer. This has been a contentious issue in the live music market for quite some time. There have been a number of class action lawsuits over the years, but Live Nation Entertainment, which owns Ticketmaster, just had to settle a almost $400 million claim by 50 million ticket buyers. Ticketmaster has admitted no wrongdoing. They have no comment on this. But the lawsuit alleged that the plaintiffs were charged separate convenience fees and facility fees, which actually weren't convenience fees or facility fees. It was profit for Ticketmaster. The downside of this is that people who wound up buying half a dozen tickets to Bruce's rising tour in 2003 and have a claim as part of this class action suit are not going to get a check in the mail. They're going to get discount codes worth $2.25 each to buy more tickets through Ticketmaster. Oh, no. That's horrible. Because I've got a golden ticket. I've got a golden ticket. I've got a golden chance to make my way. And with a golden ticket, it's a golden
You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that's the song Maddie Groves by the English folk rock band Fairport Convention. Now, Sandy Denny is singing that 1969 track, but the stunning guitar work was courtesy of our guest this week, Richard Thompson. Fairport was founded in 1967, but since then, Richard Thompson's been going strong in many incarnations. Many of you listening will remember his work with his wife, Linda Thompson, in the 70s. Then, after their personal and professional split, he launched a solo career that has been beyond successful. In fact, I'd say he's one of only a handful of artists. You can name, like, maybe Bob Dylan, Neil Young, a few others, who have sustained a high level of artistic intensity and integrity since the 60s, like Thompson has. And to further set him apart, he's one of the few guitar heroes from that generation without a real obvious debt to the blues. Instead, you're going to hear lots of influences from other areas of music, Eastern tones, jazz, Scottish balladry, Celtic folk. Jim, I know you'd agree he's one of the most underrated guitarists and songwriters in folk history, but as I recall, there was a quote somewhere along those lines like, listen and learn, Mumford? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Richard Thompson's a lesson to all contemporary folk rock artists, and as you said, he's still going strong. His most recent album is the aptly titled Electric. Knocked out in just under a few days at Buddy Miller's home studio in Nashville, it crackles with energy, a reminder that at age 65, Thompson can still let it rip. And he showcased those skills during a visit to our studio earlier this year in which he performed some old and some new goodies. Richard, welcome to Sound Opinions. Thank you. Does life get any better, Craig, than to be here with Richard Thompson with a guitar in his lap? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm ready for the tutorial as we speak. Oh, um, don't, don't count your chickens. <laughs> <laughs> we have low standards, Richard, don't worry. <laughs> Obviously. Well, as a guitar player, you've got a beautiful instrument in, in your hand right now. Your, your dad, was, was he the primary inspiration for you wanting to pick up a guitar? I mean, how did that start? Um... I don't think so. Well, yeah, I think his um, his records were, and, and not not he himself or his playing, which was pretty bad. But um, <laughs> yeah, he had Django Reinhardt records and Les Paul records, so um, that was part of the inspiration. But but also, you know, in the sort of fifties, the guitar was becoming a very hip thing. You know, but Buddy Holly was playing the guitar, and, and uh, you know, Hank Marvin of the Shadows was was playing the guitar. So so it seemed like a desirable thing to do. Mm-hmm. So um, you know. Uh, you know, I posed in front of the mirror with a tennis racket until finally I got one. <laughs> was it was rock and roll the first inspiration then? American rock and roll? Yeah, I think really, yeah, but, but because it, it sort of answered some of those questions about, you know, how, how do you deal with family life? What, what do you do about your parents? Um, you know, mm-hmm. so, so rock and roll seemed to have all the answers, which was, you know, be a teenage hoodlum, you know, sl- slash uh, cinema seats and um, that sort of stuff. <laughs> Acoustic or electric? I got an acoustic first, and then I got an electric, uh, you know, very quickly after that. So, so I, I really always played both. I started playing when I was about ten, but pretty much as soon as I started playing, um, I was in a band. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow! <laughs> Imagine what that sounded like. What did it sound like? What were you attempting to do? Uh, we were playing instrumentals, you know. Um, you know, in 1960, uh, the, the Shadows were, were a hugely popular uh, instrumental band in the UK. Their, their records still sound phenomenally good. I mean, they were so well recorded.
Did you have the slick back ducktail and the whole thing or no? Um, <laughs> did I have hair in those days? I must have had hair at some point. <laughs> did it work, Richard? You know, every boy at, at, at 10 or 12 or 13 picks up a guitar and hopes that that will help meet girls. Did it work back then? Uh, well, with a slight time lag of about five years, yeah, eventually it mm-hmm. worked, yeah. Well, Greg and I were curious about when it clicked for you that you had something special with guitar because we remember having, uh, we've had Joe Boyd on the show a couple of times oh, to great, talk yeah. about different periods there. And he, he just waxed reps about the first time he, he got to see and hear you play. And for this young kid who had this technique and it was like nothing he'd ever heard and he just knew. When did it strike you? It was, I got something going on here. <laughs> well, you know, it never seemed like an option. It was just a, a hobby, you know, just a thing to do. Mm. And, um, you know, even when we, we met Joe and, and Joe started recording it, so we didn't really think um, it was going to be a career because that wasn't an option in those days, you know. It really wasn't. It was so early Fairport Convention was not like this is our bid to be the Beatles. Um, yeah, but the Beatles were saying, you know, 1965 or something. They're saying, well, you know, you know, John and I'll, you know, we'll we'll write songs for other people. You know, we'll, we'll retire in a couple of years. You know, and, and we'll become songwriters for, for younger people. Mm. That was still the mindset, really. My parents were still on to me when I was uh, probably 40. <laughs> you know, to, to get a proper job. Really, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. Serious, yeah. really? Absolutely yeah. Serious. To get back to Joe Boyd, uh, mm. one of the things that struck struck me about his assessment of your playing at that time, obviously blues rock was a big thing in the air, and he said there was no, there was very little hint of blues or blues cliches in what Richard was doing at this time. And I don't know if you were playing this way then, but I remember being struck by you the first time I saw you play live. I go, no wonder it sounds the records always sounded like three guitar players were playing, and it was you. So how did you develop that technique? Well, the acoustic technique, um, you, you know, I, I took classical lessons when, when I was a kid, you know, just for a year. So I learned finger style. And then listening to people like Chet Atkins, you think, well, you know, the, this, this guy can really orchestrate mm-hmm. on the guitar, you know. So, um, so I thought, well, it'd be fun to do the same kind of thing. So, so when I started to play solo, and this is probably like, you know, the late 70s, really, before I really put this together, um, I, I thought, well, there's only me, uh, and I'm trying to play solo acoustic versions of songs that, that I recorded with a band. So uh, I've got to make a bigger sound, you know. So, so I know how to use my fingers, so, so, so why, why don't I try and, you know, I'll, I'll use the plectrum thing and I'll add a couple of fingers to that and, and just see if that works. They did right. You can play some bass lines and you can, you can play some rhythm parts and maybe you can play some lead parts over the top of that and just suggest a bigger picture, you know. Um, wow. You know, sonically. Because, I mean, it's, it's pretty boring to, you know, to, you, you, you go to a gig and someone just, you know. Yeah. Strums, 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 You know, which, which is fine when, when they're accompanying the voice, but, but then, you know, the, um, it comes to the sort of the bit where there should be a solo and they're still going... And, uh, you know, the audience looks at their shoes and the performers sort of, you know, looking at the rafters and it all gets kind of, you know, anyway. So for Americans who, who never know what plectrum means, you're talking about using both the guitar pick and some finger picking. 
simultaneously. From the Latin to strike. Um, no, I guess that's yeah. excited. Yeah, it sounds pit, so exotic. Yeah, yeah. Pl- pl- oh, sorry, really? That's, that's very strange. <laughs> you know, Americans are suckers for that Brit thing. You yeah, know? yeah, the really, really disturbing thing in England, if you study music, there's a name for every length of note, like minims, crotchets, quavers, semi-quavers. Mm. And I always thought everybody learned this stuff. <laughs> and, and they don't. So you come to America and you say, how many semi-quavers would you like there? I said, what? what the hell are you talking about? You know. I can't imagine asking Buddy Miller that when you recorded this last <laughs> album in Nashville. <laughs> no, well, we, we didn't get into semi-quavers. No. <laughs> far more organic process. Would you illustrate, Richard, what, what you're talking about, the finger-picking with the picking-picking? Um, okay, let me think. Well, you know, I can do a kind of a double strumming thing where, where I'm basically strumming in two directions, up and down. And then I can add things over the top of that. So, so I, I can add lead things or, or you know, punctuations over the top. So it's, um... you, you can kind of sound like, sound like two guitars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I grew up listening to a lot of pianists, um, jazz pianists. Uh, and I thought, well, how do you do that? Because a pianist has got independent... Mm-hmm. Phrasing because he's got two hands, right. so Errol Garner could have one hand lagging behind the other hand. But I mean, that's impossible on the guitar; you can't do that. But but perhaps you can do some stuff. I mean, you know, Mead Lux Lewis, I, I used to love, uh, which, you know, one of, one of the great boogie pianists. Um. That kind of stuff, you know. We just had Alan Toussaint on as a guest, and he was at that yeah, grand piano band. over there yeah. and schooling us on that, which is very much that makes sense now, doesn't it, Craig? Well, I'm watching. I'm hearing two guitars. You're right. I mean, it's a, it's an extraordinary thing, and, and you make it sound so easy, casual. Yeah, and then I did this. You know, it's like <laughs> well, not, not many people are doing that, Richard, on a refer a living. You know, it's well, like I missed a, a few notes there. Um, well, yeah. well, yeah, but but um, I watched um, you know YouTube of, of Chagans, and I think, well, how the I know everything he does. I, I can see what he's doing. I can copy what he's doing. But just the way he does it is just so sublime, you know, and yeah. effortless. Uh, and you know the guy's just been, just practices and practices and practices. It's just uh, fantastic to watch. Well, we'd love to hear a song from you, Richard. Uh, have you got something in mind that you'd like to play? I could play um, almost anything, let me think. Um, I could play. I'll I, I just do this one. That's fine. Uh, Said, darling, I'm in love with your mind The way you care for me is so kind Love to see you again, I wish I had more time She was laughing as she brushed my cheek Why don't you call me angel maybe next week Promise now I'll crush your heart and hope to die But I'm misunderstood But I'm misunderstood I thought she was saying good luck She was saying goodbye But I'm misunderstood But I'm misunderstood But I'm misunderstood 
thought she was saying good luck, she was saying goodbye. Things I tried to put shine in her eyes, wire wheels and shimmering things. Wild nights when the whole world seemed to fly She said the thing that's so unique When we're together we don't have to speak We'll always be such good friends, you and I That was Richard Thompson with I Misunderstood, a track from 1991's Rumor and Sigh, performed live here on Sound Opinions. And we've got video up at soundopinions.org. Coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, more with rock legend Richard Thompson. And later, another great guitarist. Jack White's got a new solo record.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and you've been listening to our conversation with Richard Thompson. He's a name you might associate with the 60s folk rock group Fairport Convention, or with the duo with his wife, Linda Thompson, in the 70s. We've certainly dropped his name when we've talked about the best guitarist in music history, but I think he's underrated as a lyricist. Everyone talks about the guitar chops, but listen to a song like Straight and Narrow that we just played from Thompson's recent album, Electric, and all of the songs in his catalog. Funny, poignant, spiritual storytelling. Let's pick up our conversation here. Richard Thompson explains why, after starting out as a singer and guitarist performing covers, he began to write his own material. After the Beatles sort of changed the landscape, every band had to write their own material. Mm-hmm. You, know, you saw that you know, the Rolling Stones were suddenly sort of scrambling you know, to, to, to become songwriters and, and everybody else. And in Fairport, we were the same. You know, we started off as a covers band, like, like most bands. And, and, and then we thought, well, you know, um, if people are going to take us seriously, then we have to st- start writing our own stuff because, you know, for some reason, for whatever reason, that became the norm, you know, and it's still the norm. You know, yeah. you know, you know a band like Radiohead, you know, write their own stuff. You know, they're, sure. they're not doing um, standards. But that early, like uh, an early track like Meet on the Ledge, you know, which is yeah. still, I mean, that closed Fairport sets for years, you know, I think it still does when those guys play. That's a pretty sophisticated song for a young guy to be writing. I mean, it was a teenage, teenage song that you wrote, right? And well, it's a dark teenage song. Yeah. You know? if, if, if you write on the dark side, you can get away with murder. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> There's a fair amount of angst and darkness throughout the catalog. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you can you just emphasize that stuff, and, and people think you're a genius. It never gets old, right? Well, I, I suppose not. You know. Um, well, look at look at like InSync, right? old instantly. Black Sabbath, they're going to be 80 and it's never going to be old. Dark ages better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I, 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 well, if, 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 you, if you wear a lot of costumes, you, know, you can hide a lot of sort of flab and uncles. <laughs> but here's this kid writing about, some people perceive that song as a, a song about the afterlife and it's been played at funerals. What did you intend when you wrote that song? You know, it was a long time ago and, and I was probably... Uh, under the influence of some substance, uh, so um, <laughs> my mind isn't entirely clear. I think more about what things mean now. <laughs> yeah, it's also one of those things. Like as a you know now, is it is it a song you can perform without thinking? Oh, I'm I'm past this. This is this is a song that's part of my past, and I'd r- rather leave it there. Or is it something that you still take pride in? That hey, I wrote that song when I was a teenager for Fairport Convention. Um, I mean, probably a bit of both. It's a song that I, you know I didn't perform for a really long time, mm-hmm. at least twenty years. I, you know, I played it very very rarely, and then people started to request it at shows, and I thought, well, you know, I'll give it a go. Um, but it's one of those songs where, where I feel it's a slightly naive song. Mm-hmm. It's a bizarre thing as a songwriter. Sometimes you, 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 you're singing songs. That you wrote when you were when you were nineteen years old, right? You have to find a way to reconcile that because the song is sort of popular, 
uh, and you feel a you know, duty to perform it because the audience wants to hear it. How do you deal w- w- with that different version of yourself from, from way back then? Mm-hmm. And, and I think uh, yeah, you have to kind of forgive yourself and, and, and try to look for other meaning in the song, the meaning that, that, that still means something to you. Is there a difference, Richard, between the acoustic touring Richard mindset and the electric band touring mindset? And does that play into how you approach the songs uh, that you decide to play that evening? Oh, I think so, yeah. Um, you know, they're overlapping set lists, but they're definitely different set lists. And uh, there are some things that work acoustically and some things that work much better electrically. You know, on acoustic, I, I'm kind of a slave to um, to holding down the rhythm and... Uh, you know, um, trying to, to play, you know, the solos if I can, you know, in, in this much more restricted format. Because mm. uh, I, I, I yeah. if I could play like you, I would just play <laughs> Cavalry Cross like every day, six times a day for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? I mean and it would just yeah. like, I'd, it would never get old. Well, um, you know, there was a time when I did that and I got, I got bored with it. So, so <laughs> I moved on to something else, you know. talked about this before but i'm struck by the fact that you practice still practice i shall not name any names but (laughs) numerous people who have made a reputation playing an instrument have essentially stopped playing it as a practice instrument they simply play their songs when they go to uh, sound check and they play them at night you know at at the show but in terms of that woodshedding between shows time off it sounds like it's something that's still part of your life um, Why well, do you do to, that? Yeah. I, you know, you, you have to, to keep your fingers working. Uh, and also, I, I think music should be, um, you know, an exploratory thing. You should always be looking for something new. Otherwise, you, you're kind of dead as a musician. You know, if you're not going forwards, then you, then you really are stagnating. What's the stuff that inspires you now? This notion of, you know, pop music, quote-unquote, what, what more can be brought into it from outside that's n- that you're not hearing that, that's not there already? I think one of the nice things about, about, about pop music as opposed to rock music, I, I, I don't really like rock music, to tell you the truth. I, you know, I, I find it you know, uh, bombastic, you know, egotistical, <laughs> overinflated. Um, whereas I, I find pop music a lot more honest. You know, it may be dumb, but it's honestly dumb. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get smart people, people like Prince or Abba, you know, um, strange bedfellows perhaps, who bring in um, you know, interesting ideas, harmonic ideas, arrangement ideas, uh, you know, in, into, the, in, in, into the pop arena. So I like sort of intelligent pop music. And I probably listen, you know, 90% of what I listen to and excites me is probably classical music right now. Wow, classical. So, um, so, so, Richard, no awareness of somebody like a Mumford & Sons who are trying to bring that Fairport Convention folk rock sound to arenas yeah. or, or a Decemberist, you know, who are, you know, much hipper on the other end of the spectrum trying to bring some elements of, of that British folk revival of the 60s into, um, you know, indie rock or very ambitious stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I, I think that's terrific, and I, and I really think it's great that, that another generation is discovering folk music, whatever that that may be. You know, acoustic music, traditional music. I, I think that's terrific. For me, a, a lot of what, what the Mumfords are doing, I've kind of heard it before. Yeah, you know, you mentioned pop. People thought that cover that you did of "Oops, I Did It Again," the Britney Spears song <laughs> a few years ago, was kind of a joke, but. 
it's, well, not, it kind it's of not was. a joke in, in some ways, right? Well, you know, it, it was from, from, from a sort of tongue-in-cheek standpoint, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, we do that song in a show called uh, A Thousand Years of Popular Music, and sometimes we finish the show with, uh, oops, you know, with, with a Britney song. Oh, baby, baby, oops, I did it again. I play with your heart, got lost in the game. It's a kind of a slightly ironical version that, that we do, but then that the, you know, because it's a good song, actually, um, it has good um, strikes. It's got good bones, mm-hmm. you know, nice sort of uh, slightly sardonic lyric and and, um, and a good chord structure. Um, it sort of holds up. So classical to Britney, it's all sort of in that stew, that mix of stuff that you're listening to and incorporating into your songwriting and your guitar playing when you're practicing. Well, I think so, yeah. I mean, you know, I like classical music a bit because, um, you know, it's harmonically interesting to me. You know, uh, once you've played C, F, and G seventh um, for 40 years, you think, well, there must be, must be another chord. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and we're here with Richard Thompson. And Richard, it looks like you've got a lyric sheet there, like a new song that you are going to play for us? Yeah, it's a recent song. Um, I just finished recording an EP. Remember EPs? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not as okay. long as an album. Not as- <laughs> exactly, yes. Um, and, and you thought they were dead, didn't you? But, but yeah. uh, I, I've just done one for some strange reason. So it's a song called uh, Fergus Lang. Fergus Lang is a beast of a man. He stitches up and fleeces. He wants to manicure the world and sell it off in pieces. He likes to build his towers high. He blocks the sun out of the sky. In the penthouse, the champagne's dry and slightly gassy. Well, Fergus Lang, he works so hard, as busy as a beer's. Fergus Lang has 17 friends, all as dull as he is. Seventeen friends of seventeen wives All the perfect shape and size They wipe their tails and bat their eyes Just like Lassie Oh, Fergus Lang, he builds and builds Yet small is his erection Fergus has a fine head of hair When the wind's in the right direction Wind's in the right direction Fergus Lang and his 17 friends, they live inside a bubble. There they withdraw and shut the door at any sign of trouble. Should the peasants rail and vent and ask him where the money went, he'll simply say it's all been spent 
I'm being classy Fergus Lang, he builds and builds Yet small is his erection Fergus Lang has a fine head of hair When the wind's in the right direction The wind's in the right direction oh. Fergus Billings reached the sky Until you cannot see him He thinks the old stuff he pulls down Belongs in our museum His own fair home is on the park An airy jewel, a city arc Hung with Picasso, hung with Brock, but nothing brassy. Fergus Lang by Richard Thompson, a song you've never played live yet. Um, no. Hey, we, we are now John Peel, Greg. Yep. We got, we got a great song from Richard Thompson <laughs> debuted here on Sound Opinions. A Trump-esque character, perhaps? A Trump-esque character, yes. I wouldn't say it's about Donald yep. Trump at all. No, no, no. A great just, tradition. Just, just the fact, in northeast Scotland, he, he built this golf course, which was very, very, uh, slightly controversial. And very kind. I remember reading that. he wanted that. to build a you know, huge uh, housing development and the locals sort of screamed and everything and, and basically turned him down. And now they've just given planning permission for this huge wind farm, like the biggest wind farm in the world, <laughs> you know, right off the, the coast of the, uh, where, where the golf course is. Yeah. And Donald's very upset about that. Anyway. But this is a song about, not, not about Donald Trump, no, of course. It's, it's, it's a novelistic, uh, fictional character. I love when you're in that mode of doing these sociological sort of sketches of people because you well, really bring, I mean, you know, you'd bring people to life. Well, it's, it's just satire. I mean, it's, it's what, you know. Mm-hmm. I've always been curious, Richard, about the the spiritual element in your music. Do you think music still has the power to transport an audience above and beyond the way that it did when you fell in love with it? Uh, Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Music is very spiritually aspirational. And I think um, I can think of people whose lives were totally messed up, people like Charlie Parker or Mm. John Coltrane, you know, 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 junkies, drug addicts, whatever, you know, uh, who still made incredibly spiritual music that took them somewhere else and could lead other people somewhere else. And the direction was definitely upwards. I mean, it's mm-hmm. uplifting music. And yet they wound up destroying themselves in the process. Do you, do you yeah. think having uh, the Sufi Muslim faith in your life has kept you centered in a way that, that other musicians haven't been, other artists haven't been so lucky? Uh, does it help you to be centered? Absolutely. Does it help you to steer through the shark-infested waters of the, of the music <laughs> the music business. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That and the clove of garlic around your neck, yeah, you right? Know, yeah, you know, I, I think it, it, you know, it helps you to, to have some perspective. It helps you to have some discrimination. You know, Richard, you seem to have a, a, such a healthier attitude about the history. You know, when we've had people like Lou Reed or John Cale that we've interviewed, you know, there are just whole decades that they scratch out, you know, of their, I don't want to talk about that, you know, and, and yet, you know, Fairport, <laughs> the records you made with Linda, the capital years, it seems like you carry it all and you're all, you're, you're all pretty good with it. Yeah, I think it's because we're, we're, we're kind of folkies, you know, we're, we're, we came out of folk music and, and it's much more, you know, family orientated, it's much more tradition orientated, right. you know, uh, whereas, uh, 
you know, the, I mean, the Velvet Underground was, you know, r- radically uh, <laughs> different, you know, and, and it was, uh, I mean, I, I think they're just a fantastic band. Uh, and I love, I, I love John Cal. He, he's, he's a oh, great guy, yeah. you know, really great guy. So there was always this folk attitude that I've got my fake book or my song book and it's going to grow and grow and grow. And now it's just this rich five decades worth of material that you well, have. Plus, you know, your... yeah, we're all friends, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Fairport, we were friends. I'm, we, I'm still friends with the guys in Fairport, yeah. you know, um, you know, we weren't trying to kill each other, you know, we, we weren't <laughs> like, you know, the kinks or something. Where we went. we had to, you know half the band had to stay in one hotel and the other you know you you, you meet on stage you know <laughs> and, and and even Linda right <laughs> well yeah I mean yeah we're we're, we're basically you know uh, friends I suppose <laughs> I mean, you know when we you know we do these Valentine's shows and and because we're rock critics and we're rock and roll at heart you know we always do like the most painful breakup songs ever and there's always like something from those albums Richard you know oh, dear, it's like those are the, you know those are the pinnacle of of painful relationship well, endings pinnacle songs. of pain that that's the next album title I think pinnacle of, pinnacle catchy. of pain yeah yeah well there's got to be a certain irony I mean shoot out the lights for many people was their introduction to you and I, I wonder do you have mixed feelings about that because there there was all those issues surrounding that record where, you know, yeah. after after it was made, you and Linda broke up, and the record was aborted when you did uh, the Jerry Rafferty sessions, and you had to do a new mm-hmm. set of sessions for it. So, what are your feelings when you look back on that record? Well, you know, a, a lot of um, you know after the record came out, and, and after we broke up, that became the focus for all the publicity. Um, but I don't really associate that record with, with you know the songs were written what, a year, two years before we broke up, and, and it certainly wasn't a road we thought we were going down. Do you understand why people embrace that record, though? Do I understand? Um, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would hope, but ultimately, it's because they, they think the songs are good. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they may have come to it uh, through some, you know, promotional quirk, but um, right. I hope um, they, they, they stay with it because they like the songs. Remember when we were hand in hand? Remember when we see? Listening to Sound Opinions, Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis. Richard Thompson is here. Richard, have you got another song you can play? Do I have another song in me? Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't know. I exhausted you. Any requests? Oh my God. Everything. Well, I mean, anything. Cl- cliche uh, Vincent Black Lightning, I know, is kind of on everybody's mind. Or we were always, just talking but, about, you know, I mean, do you do Bright Lights Acoustic? Yeah, or, uh, yeah I can do Bright Lights. Sure. That would be great. Oh my God. Okay. okay. Just retune a little bit. Okay. <laughs> So tired of working every day Now the weekend's come I'm gonna throw my troubles away If you got the cab fare Mister, you're too alright I want to see the bright lights tonight It's crazy people running all over town there's a silver band just marching up and down 
white boys are all spoiling for a fight. I want to see the bright lights tonight. Meet me at the station, don't be late. I need to spend some money and it just won't wait. Take me to the dance and hold me tight. I want to see the bright lights tonight Drunken nights rolling on the floor Just the kind of mess that I'm looking for I'm gonna dream till Monday rolls inside I want to see the bright lights tonight Meet me at the station, don't be To spend some money and it just won't wait. Take me to the dance and hold me tight. I want to see the bright lights tonight. Take me to the dance and hold me tight. I want to see the bright lights tonight. Well, I can just die now or retire, <laughs> either one. Richard Thompson, I want to see the bright lights tonight. So going down to Nashville, working with Buddy Miller, I, you seemed like you wanted to kick out the jams with Electric. You know, it just sort of happened. I mean, I'm not, really? sure, I'm not sure we had that intention. Um, you know, we, we had a bunch of songs that would probably lend themselves to that kind of treatment. But um, I think we just went to Buddy's house and, and we set up and, you know, and we got some sounds and everything sounded good. And, uh, and then because it's a house... Yeah. You're not in the studio. There's no red light going on or anything to to, to make you nervous. <laughs> so you're just sitting around playing with your friends, and and um, okay, mm. we got that one. Okay, what next? You know, and and uh, yeah, we recorded. God, what did we do? I think we did the album in like two days or something. Three mm. days. I think three days. What we did. He's great to work with, but Buddy, you know, he's so relaxed and, and humble. Mm. If you say, you know, but Buddy, you know, do you want to play guitar on this one? He'll say, Oh, sure. Buddy, can you not play guitar on the next one? <laughs> so, no, sure, problem. Not, no problem. Yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> And you're at this stage in your career where you can get a lot of people tend to get very fussy and detail oriented about the recordings and spend months and you knock this out in four days and that seems to be like the the preferred method for you quick and you know well, let's get you it know, down. I'm, I'm not good at slow in the studio I don't know, <laughs> really you know I, I couldn't do a Brian Wilson it would just drive me nuts you know. Mm-hmm. It seems like you've figured out something because you've gone in the obscure route then you've gone major label for a good long stretch. I mean, people were talking about you know, the Rumor and Sigh record was, again, another sort of breakthrough commercially, Grammy-nominated. So 
And now you're, it seems like the way you're conducting your career in the last 10, 15 years or so, it's been very much pick and choose and independently oriented. Is that sort of by design? I mean, I, it would seem no. to me like you could, you <laughs> no, could do anything I, you want at this point. Well, uh, you know, you talk as if I have a plan. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really not like that. I, I think I, I just kind of stumble from project to project. You know, I, there's things I want to do. So, so I think, okay, I really want to do this kind of record. Right. You know, I've got this idea for this and this idea for that. Well, what I'm getting at is that an artist of your stature at this point in your career, they become nostalgia acts. You have not. You go out on tour, you're going to hear new songs off the new album. And there's maybe a, a handful of people like that in that same category. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like to be creative. You, you know, I, I like to write songs, that, you know, and I, I love to play live. That's the focus. Of, you know, I, I, that's why I keep doing it. And, and um, you know, it must be hard, actually, to be like a hits band or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I, I know musicians who would like to be creative, or would like the audience to accept their creativity. And that's the real problem, is the expectation of the audience. The upside to being a cult hero. Exactly, yes. The upside to being incredibly unsuccessful. <laughs> so the key, the key to a long career is no top 40 hits, right? Exactly, no okay. top 40 and no top 200. Out in the desert there's a soldier lying dead Richard Thompson has been our guest on Sound Opinions. Richard, we can't thank you enough for coming in. My pleasure. Thank you. To watch video of Richard Thompson performing in our studio, visit soundopinions.org. And we want to hear from you. What are your memories of Richard Thompson with Fairport Convention, with Linda, or on his own? Call 888-859-1800. Coming up, Jack White's Lazaretto. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and that's a track called Lazaretto, the title track from the second solo record from Jack White. Jack White, of course, founder of the White Stripes with his then-wife, Meg White, in 1997 out of Detroit. Six great records out of that band, three million sellers. They broke up in uh, 2011, but White has been incredibly busy since then. He's uh, worked in two other bands, The Dead Weather with The Kills, Allison Mosshart, and The Tours with his friend Brendan Benson. He set up shop in Nashville, where he has become an acclaimed producer, working with people like Wanda Jackson, Loretta Lynn, and Jerry Lee Lewis. He's the owner of Third Man Records, his own label, an indie label. He's got a recording studio there in Nashville. It's a concert venue. It's also a record store. Oh, and by the way, he's been making records under his own name as well. The first one came out in 2012. It was called Blunderbuss, and now we've got Lazaretto. It's based on lyrics that White says he wrote at age 19, short stories that he was writing back then. He's now 38, so he's going back and visiting the early part of his life for inspiration. And it was recorded with personnel from not one, but two bands with whom he toured after Blunderbuss came out. Here's a track from Lazaretto. It's called Black Bat Licorice from Jack White on Sound Opinions. And let you hold on to it for me Cause without my skull to amplify my sounds It might get boring That's Black Bat Licorice by Jack White Getting downright funky and dirty there Greg from the new album Lazaretto You know, I think it's easy to take Jack White for granted Because he is so consistently excellent, especially in his own work. And by that I mean White Stripes and his solo work. The productions can be a little more hit and miss. This album's got no surprises on it. We've heard this stuff from Jack before. Blunderbuss, there was a buzz because this was him for the first time without an alter ego, without the shtick of the White Stripes, if you will. Uh, But he's doing the same thing. He's doing country, he's doing blues, he's doing down and dirty garage rock. He's lulling and seductive in a song like Entitlement. He's angry in the title track. He's funky, as I said, in that black licorice track. But he's always melodically potent. No matter what style he's dabbling in, there are great 
hooks here. And I just think this is another excellent set from White. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I believe this is the man who said, you know, his his wife was his sister in the early days of the White Stripes. I don't know if I believe that these are short stories he discovered, you know, 19 years after he wrote them and then he rewrote them and then he burned the originals, right? I don't know if any of that is true. This is another great set of Jack White songs and, and I've been loving it since playing it. It's a buy it record. Well, I loved Blunderbuss when it came out in 2012, Jim. It was a terrific showcase for some new moves that he was going to show. I mean, White Stripes, it couldn't have been any more stripped down, just him and Meg. With Blunderbuss, he was really expanding the sound and working in all these different genres. Here I see a little bit of a retreat. I mean, he's obviously very much steeped in blues and country music. He's gone back to the well for inspiration there, and he does it well. But at the same time, I think he's done it better before. I think when he sort of ventures outside that, comfort zone, when he goes into pop on Alone in My Home, or Black Bat Licorice, which I think is clearly the best track on the record. Just all these different elements in there, that reggae rhythm, those uh, bombastic keyboards, that country fiddle, the multi-track vocals. It's almost progressive rock, but he makes it sound organic. He's really on to something there, but there's not enough of this innovation. I do feel like it's a lesser cousin of, of Blunderbuss, and I'm going to have to give it a try at rating. But now, you know, we just reviewed the record that he made in basically a phone booth with Neil Young, <laughs> right? Now, we would not complain about Neil Young giving us another harvest or another like a hurricane, right? I mean, why are we complaining about Jack White at 38? But Neil Young isn't, that record doesn't sound like anything else in Neil Young's catalog. And I would say that this sounds very much like a record that Jack White has already made, except not as good. Well, I think you're wrong. I'd buy it from me, a try it from you. What do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have an in-studio visit from a fine songwriter, Angel Olson. Thanks to Mary Gaffney and Andrew Gill for helping with that session with Richard Thompson. Sound Opinion senior producers are Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. And our production assistant is Anthony Martinez. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. Anytime at all. Hey, Greg and Jim. This is Steve calling from Grass Lake, Michigan. Just got listen, done listening to your, uh, your episode with the uh, Baseball Project. And my favorite song about baseball is Todd Snyder's song uh, called America's Favorite Pastime about the combination of team sports and hallucinogenic drugs. If you haven't heard it, I definitely recommend checking it out. Doc Ellis didn't think he was pitching that day back in 1970 When he and his wife took a trip to the ballpark a little bit differently So by the time that he hit the bullpen Half the world had melted away That's about the time Coach Murtaugh came and said Doc, you're pitching today Taking the mound, the ground turned into the ice And on a birthday cake the leadoff man came up and turned into a dancing rattlesnake. Hey guys, this is Matt from the western suburbs. I grew up listening to those baseball compilation albums incessantly, and my favorite song was always Danny Kaye's Dodger song. I loved it so much that in fourth and fifth grade, I did a, a spoken word.
Word version for our uh, school's talent show. And even 25 uh, years later, I can still remember all the words. Love the show. Thank you. So I say D. I say D-O. D-O-D. D-O-D-G. D-O-D-G-E-R-S. Team, 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 team. Oh, I say O-M. O-M-A. O-M-A-L. O-M-A-L-L-E-Y, oh really? No O'Malley. Sandy Koufax, oh my Drysdale, Maury Wills, I love you so. And we defy, defy the J-I, J-I-N, J-I-N-T, J-I-N-T-S, Giants! Hi, this is uh, Robert Taylor from Walton, Oregon. And uh, it's just so funny, I was listening to the radio about doctors and their favorite music they play when operating and uh you talked about listening to a real estate record and it's just funny uh i was in the hospital last summer for a MRSA infection that came pretty bad and uh, i went to the emergency room for an operation and the doctors operated on me that night and uh i requested music to be played while they operated on me because i wasn't able to be put under and uh i played my real estate album on pandora and the doctors i remember them kind of remarking about how nice it was so I don't know, just, I just wanted to say that uh, it's pretty cool how the story today syncs up with what I've uh, experienced in my life. Thanks. Hi, my name is Chris Petker. I'm an obstetrician in Yale New Haven Hospital. And I did my residency with Michael Fremovitz, who you had on your Rock Doctors episode. And I remember him being a big fan of music in the operating room. And I think our favorite song to start off our operating room cases was Tighten Up by Archie Bell and the Drells. It'd be great to hear that again on your show. Have a good day. Come on now, drummer. What's gonna tighten it up for me now? Oh, yeah. Tighten up on that bass now. Tighten it up. <laughs> yeah. Now let that guitar fall in. Oh, yeah. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.